We are on Ksubis, the very bottom of Samach Tesla Bay, 69b, as we continue in the sixth chapter. And in this recording, we will complete the sixth chapter, the sixth parak of Ksubis. Very exciting. And in the next class, we will begin a new topic, the seventh parak, the seventh chapter of Ksubis. Uh, the end of this uh, this parak, of this chapter, as we mentioned in the, as we discussed in the last class, uh, is specifically about Mitzvah Lekhaim Divri The father provides instructions uh, to a shlish, to a third party, to an agent, about uh, some of his estate. Uh, the specific case in the Mishnah was that he, he designated a certain amount of his estate to, be, to belong to his daughter, and the question is, and he instructed the uh, the third party, the shlish, uh, the agent, that he shouldn't give it, that the agent is the one who should take that money and uh, purchase land with it. Uh, and the daughter now, she's engaged and she wants to, halakhically engage, she's not married yet, uh, but she wants to take that money and that it shouldn't belong in the hands of the third party. The third party should not be the one who makes decisions about uh, which field to, to purchase, but... She wants to give it to her husband. Is that allowed? Is that not allowed? And we had an argument about that. Romero said it's not allowed. We have to follow the specific instructions that the father gave. And Rubiosi says it. It is allowed. It's not a problem in, in that case. So based on that Gemara, on the Mishnah, we have the following Gemara. The Gemara says, Ilfa Tola Very interesting person uh, named Ilfa. Ilfa was uh, one of the top students of his day. He was one of the top students of his day. He was very close with Rabbi Yochanan, who became, Rabbi Yochanan became the leader of the yeshiva. Ilfa, in the end, he went to work. He went to work, but even though he went to work and uh, he had uh, less time to study, potentially, but he was still a Torah scholar. He still maintained many, many, many hours of, of very serious learning and he became a, a very strong Torah scholar, scholar. And he showed that he, he continues to know so much that uh, he was uh, suspending himself from uh, a part of the ship uh, that he was traveling on. I guess he was in business, so he was on a ship. And he said the following statement. He said, Omar He said the following, Anybody who comes here and tells me something which was taught in a brisa. We've mentioned many, many brisas. There's brisas on almost every page. A brisa is not a Mishnah, but it's from the same time period of the Mishnah. It's a bit of an elaboration on the Mishnah. He says, anybody who quotes me a brisa, I will tell you who said it. I will tell you the original source of it. Essentially, somebody from the Mishnah, I will bring proof to, to that idea. That there's nothing in the brisa which I cannot bring a proof from. I cannot bring a direct source from. I, I, I know. I know the brisos, and I know uh, who said what, and I could, I could bring it back to its original source. That's what he says. So test me, he says. And if I don't do this, if I fail, so then I will jump and I will drown. I will drown. That's how confident I am in, uh, in what I know. A very, uh, very powerful statement, and we'll see that he's, he is successful. Um, but before we get there, there have been other uh, great Torah scholars throughout the generations who have also been uh, uh, very wealthy and uh, businessmen and have worked and uh, some of them, even in their introduction to their works, to their works that are studied till today, in their introduction, they write how uh, people might question me, the ability do I have to, what kind of ability do I have to write uh, such a work, such a halachic work, uh, but they should know that it's uh, it's not true, even though I do 
have a business, and even though uh, a significant part of my time is devoted towards that business, but at the same time, uh, we, one could still study lots and lots of Torah. So it's uh, it's an important message for all of us, for all of us to recognize uh, as we uh, try to balance uh, the work life together with the Torah study life. That's Ilfa saying, and many, many other great Torah scholars have said that they could accomplish both. And so it's really uh, a tremendous lesson to take in. So what happens in the story? So there was an elder, older person who said, I have the following b'risa. Tell me, what's the source for this? Basically a person, again, same case, a father is uh, giving money to an agent and telling him that after I passed away, I want you to give such and such, not to his daughter in this case, but to his sons. He wants to provide for his sons a certain amount that they should have uh, every week uh, to, for sustenance to, to, to buy food from. And so he gives it to uh, in the, the hands of this third party. And he gives a sella a certain amount. Um, sorry, he gives a, a shekel. He gives a shekel, which is a lower amount. But the truth was that uh, in order for them to have proper sustenance, they need double the amount. So the law is is that uh, the agent should give the children double the amount. They should give double the amount because uh, that was the intent of the father. The father mentioned the lower amount because he thought that that would suffice. But it's not true. That wouldn't suffice. That's, that's the reality. And so therefore we give more. However, if you use the language, if you use the language not give a shekel to my children uh, every week, but he says, don't give, only give them a shekel. The language is only give them such and such. So even if uh, in order to provide for them, they require more, but because he used such a strong language, only give to them such and such, so then we only give to them that shekel, even though they need more in order to uh, uh, to have proper sustenance. Additionally, if he also says that, let's say, after he passes away, if his children then die, so then um, without any, any, uh, any heirs, Without any inheritors, so then um, other people uh, should also should inherit whatever I'm giving them. Other people should inherit it. If he uses that language, so then So if that's the case, so then no matter what, whatever language he uses, whether his language is in the positive that they should he should give a shekel every week, or whether it's only give a shekel, it doesn't make a difference. In either way, either case, uh, we only give a shekel. The reason is is because. Whatever we give these children, it has the potential to impact uh, other people. If we give them too much, so then they weren't really deserving of it. Uh, because uh, if they, let's say they pass away, so that means the other people that are supposed to receive are receiving less. Uh, because there's this balance here in terms of how much they receive vis-a-vis the other people who would receive less. Uh, so therefore, we have to give exactly, exactly what the, well, what the father said in that case. Okay, so Amrlay... Money. So Ilfa then says back, I can tell you who the author is. You want to know who the author is? We're now on Ayin Aleph, 70a, a few lines till the next chapter. He says, who's the author? I'll tell you who the author is. Rav Meir, he, it's Rav Meir of our Mishnah. This is why we're bringing down the story. The Amr, Mitzalakayim, Rav Meir. Rav Meir is the one who said that unless we know with certainty exactly that the, that the father was willing to give it to the children directly instead of to the agent, we have to follow the instructions of the father. The father says, give it to the agent. The agent has has jurisdiction, has control over it. So we can't change We can't change the plans. So to over here, the father, that's what the case of our Mishnah with the daughter. 
And the same thing is true with regards to the Bryce. The Bryce says that if the, if the father says only give a shekel, so then he can only give a shekel, even though the children uh, need more for the week. Uh, and if he, if he says that uh, other people should also receive if the children pass away, so then there too, we have to listen to the instructions of the father. That is the position of Rav Meir. That's what Rav Meir says. Okay. Now the Gemara continues. Amar of Chista, Amar Marukva. Marukva says the following. Hilchasa, what is the final law? What is the final law? Bein Shamar Tanu, Bein Shamar Adinu, Nosan Lehem, Kol Tzorchem. The final law seems to be against Rav Meir. Marukva says that it seems to be against Rav Meir that no, if the father says, whether the father says to give a shekel or whether he says only give a shekel, in the end of the day, we have to provide everything that the children need. If the children need more sustenance, so then we give the children more. We do give the children more. That's what Marukva says. That's what the law is. The Gemara asks the obvious question. What happened to Rameir? Don't we follow Rameir who says that we have to follow the instruction of the father? Why are you telling us now that the law is that uh, we provide whatever the children need? The father said only a shekel. So the Gemara answers. The Gemara essentially says, in this case also, the father would want to give the children more. It's true, we follow a mayor in most cases, or without knowing otherwise, we would have to follow the specific instructions of the father. But in this particular case, we know that the father really wants to provide sustenance for children. Why did he only say, to say, only give a shekel? The reason why he said it like that uh, was to really encourage his children uh, not to rely on him and not to, to spend so much money on food. Uh, they don't have to spend so much money on food. And so that's why he phrases it, the father phrased it in a very specific way, so that the children wouldn't have so much money to spend uh, so much money on food. They shouldn't uh, have such uh, traits, such character. Uh, so that's why he phrased it like that. But of course the father would agree that if, if the children just can't eat, if it's not enough, not enough money to provide for the children for the week, the father would for sure uh, agree to, to allow... Uh, his children to have more money so that they could uh, have a healthy healthy diet and uh, have enough to eat. Okay, so that's uh, that's the end of that discussion. So in the end, we do follow this principle that we have to listen to the instructions of the father, but we also have to keep in mind that if, if we know with certainty that the father would agree to change the instructions because there's a, a new reality on the ground, so then we would listen to that as well. Okay, the Gemara now says, Tanan Hassan. The Gemara now discusses really uh, the second half, a line from the second half of the Mishnah. We'll get back to that line in a minute, but it's really for a different topic. The, there's a Mishnah in Gitin that discusses what could a child do and what can't a child do. And we know that um, from the Torah, children cannot uh, be involved in business. Children, under, minors under the age of 13 uh, or girls under the age of 12, they cannot be involved in business. A person could give them a gift. That would work. If it's coming from somebody else and they're giving them a gift, that would work. But in terms of making purchases uh, or sales, uh, minors cannot do that. However, there was a rabbinic decree uh, that uh, we allow them, if they're of a close to the age of 12 or 13, we allow them to make sales, not with regards to land. Land is more expensive and more lasting of an impact. But with regards to movable objects, and the reason for this, uh, is, as stated in Gittin, is so that uh, the children will have what to eat. Uh, will have what to eat. Uh, they'll be able to, uh, if they need it, uh, so that they don't starve, if they have to sell certain things, 
So then they're allowed to do this. In fact, there's a whole discussion. What happens if the father's still alive? Does this apply? What happens if there's somebody, as we're about to see, somebody who's in charge of the, uh, of their uh, of the of the wealth of the father? Let's say the father passed away. There's a big discussion. Would this apply if the father's alive? Because the father's the one who's providing for these children. But that's the reason. That's the reason that's given there. So Amar Rafim Rafim qualifies this, and he says Lo Shano Elish Ein Shama Pachapas Lo Yishama Pachapas Ein Mekhan Mekach Ve'Ein Memkram Memkar. Rafim says this only applies if uh, the 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 sales that uh, the the children make or uh, that they're valid only work uh, if there's no Apatrapas, if there's no agent who's overseeing uh, what the children are doing. But if there is a, an agent that the father appointed. Uh, or if, let's say, perhaps the court's appointed. So then the children, it's not true. The children cannot make any sales. That, that's what Rafram says. So the Gemara asks, the Gemara asks the following from our Mishnah Mimai. How do, the Gemara says, what's the source for this? And our Mishnah, our Mishnah says that if we have a girl who's under the age of 12, we mentioned this uh, in the last class, that if you have a girl who's under the age of 12, uh, even if she's fully married, even if she's fully married, uh, she cannot say that I wanted to transfer the money that I was supposed to receive from the agent that was appointed by my father. I wanted to transfer it to my husband. She doesn't have the ability to say that because she's too young. She's a minor. She doesn't, uh, she doesn't know how to perform transactions. Ah, so we see from here that a minor can't do transactions because there's somebody on top of her. There's somebody who's in, who's in charge. So the Gemara says maybe there's no proof. Maybe our case, our case in the Mishnah is not really an apatrapas. An apatrapas is just somebody in general who oversees what the children are doing. But in our case, in our Mishnah, it's very specific. The father told this person uh, to give to be in charge of this specific amount of cash. And it was very specific. And it was to this person how to deal with the cash. That's, that's what we refer to as a shlish. This is not an apatrapas. An apatrapas who is, is just in general involved in the, uh, in the affairs of the children to make sure in general that it's, uh, uh, the money is being used, uh, properly. But it's not about a specific item. So here it's about a specific, our mission is about a specific item. So that maybe you can't change. But how can we prove to all cases of where, where there's, uh, there's an apatrapas, where there's really somebody who is, um, overseeing what they're doing in a general sense. So my answer is no. You can't listen to No. There is, you could bring proof from our Mishnah because our Mishnah, if it was about specifically that case, they would have used a different language. It would have been a specific language with regards to that case. But our Mishnah uses a general language of anything that a katana minor does doesn't work. It doesn't work. So the fact that they use that type of a language reflects the idea um, that in general, whenever there's a, even an apatrapa, somebody who, who's not about a specific amount and with regards to this specific agency, but it's in general that this person was appointed to oversee the general uh, affairs of the children, even in that case, uh, Raphim says that the children cannot uh, perform business transactions um, and it wouldn't work. It would only work if there's nobody really on top of them. Okay. This concludes uh, this uh, sixth chapter. Hadron Allah Matthias Aisha. Mazel tov to everybody for the completion of the sixth chapter. We will continue uh, in the next class with the beginning of the seventh chapter.